Welcome to the Vineyard Church Message of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information on this podcast or other resources, go to vineyardlive.us. To learn more about us, go to thevineyardchurch.us. Good morning, everyone. So glad you braved the weather. You're joining us today. I want to start by sharing another episode of Putty's quirky and colorful backstory. This one uh, takes place in the context of the first ministry that I was ever a significant part of growing up. In the church that I uh, was raised, there was a puppeteering ministry. And I participated in that from about late elementary school through early high school. In fact, I have a little something here because I know you have all kinds of questions in your mind now. So I've got I've got a little something that's uh, supposed to look like somebody. You know, that's a good-looking puppet there. You know, hi everybody. You know. Come Holy Spirit, <laughs> whatever. So uh, these we, we we had a puppeteering ministry, and uh, it was it was actually a kind of a cool thing. Like it was, um, I gotta kind of try and cram this in here. Sorry, one second. There we go. That'll work. Um, this was where we learned to to show up and be faithful and to serve and to give of our time with a good attitude. And we would set up these like immense like sets. We had like musical numbers and choreography. We'd actually enter and win competitions. People would get saved. I know it sounds like really silly, and in hindsight it probably was, but it was also a really cool ministry. And uh, one day, as we're preparing for our puppetry practice, there was a group of, I don't know, maybe 12, 15 of us, and we're all kind of standing around about to get ready. And one of the team members, uh, who was a friend of mine, her name was Megan, she was about a year younger than me, And my guess would be we're both in about junior high at this point. My friend Megan, uh, who was known and loved by the church, and one of those people that sometimes says things that are just a touch ditzy, if you know what I mean. Great person, sometimes kind of like, I'm not sure why you said that. So she says something kind of to the group as a whole. And it's one of those things that is a little bit ditzy. And in response, I... I countered by saying something that pointed out how this wasn't a a smart thing to say. I kind of cut into her a little bit. And the whole group laughs. Oh, ha, 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 it's funny. You know, they're all chuckling. And I look at her, and I see, like, a pained expression on her face. And I remember having, having a moment where I'm sitting there, and I feel this, like, twinge inside. And I, I look at her. I see the pain on her face. I mean, a friend of mine. I look at everybody laughing, and and I have this thought. You know, like, I could play this game reasonably well. I'm I'm, I'm clever enough. My dad has blessed, was blessed with an extremely dry sense of humor, so I kind of grew up in that place. Like, I can do that. But I don't think I want to be a person who uses my words to cut other people down. I don't want to be that. I want to be a person who actually uses my words to build other people up. And so in the middle of that, that whole experience, everybody else is laughing, you know, she's kind of processing her pain or whatever. I said to myself, you know what? This isn't the person I'm going to be anymore. I'm going to use my words to build up. I'm not going to use my words to cut down. And while I, I certainly haven't lived that out flawlessly since that day, 
I think I can with integrity tell you that that was a legitimate turning point, that that, that really did exit my life and something, a new trajectory was formed. In fact, you can track down, there are some people in this church that knew me while I was in high school. Some of them would have to, at times, explain people to, or explain me to people in public situations. I would, like, you know, the server would come by and serve us, and I would be like, thank you, you did such a good job serving today. And, and they'd be like, what? And, and my friends would be like, no, he actually means it. I know people don't do this, but, like, this is actually real. Like, it was a real-life trajectory change that happened for me on that day. Now, why do I tell that story? Not because it makes me look good, but because it prompts an important question that I think we'll do well to ask ourselves. Why is it that sometimes we can make life changes, and in other places in our life, we have these habits and sins that we feel like we're spinning our wheels with and we can never get forward motion? Why is it that sometimes we want to change and we can't? And what does it look like to actually see life change happen in those areas. That's what I want to talk through today. And that's what we're exploring in this Clean Living series where we're talking about sustainable spirituality. How do we sustain this over the arc of our whole lives? Today, I want to talk about living cleanly before God. Let's pray. Jesus, I just thank you that you are here and you are present among us. And God, as we, as we explore your word, I just ask, would your presence shine as a light, Lord, in our lives? We just give you permission with our lives to speak truth to us, to bring us into truth. And God, I, I just ask that your presence would empower the kinds of moments even today in this service, as I talked about earlier. The kind of life change, no, 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 we're going to go this way, and the rest of our course really does change. God, I believe that can happen today. But it's not going to happen through our own effort. It's going to happen through your power. So, Lord, would you come? Would you release your presence upon us? Would you empower us to be who you say we are? In your name. Amen. Amen. Why is it that sometimes we can change and other times we struggle? Well, the answer has a lot to do with our conscience, which is what we're talking about in this series. And our conscience, last week, Di introduced the series. This is how she defined it. She said, our conscience is each person's God-given capacity to be aware or to be conscious of what one believes is right or wrong. It's a, it's a voice that comes from the inside of us that's encouraging us. This is good or is exhorting us. This isn't good. It's an inner voice. If I was to take that definition and wrap it in a bit of imagery... This would, be, this would be how we'll talk about it today. Your conscience is the voice of your heart speaking to you. Your conscience is the voice of your heart speaking to you. Now the reason this is critically important is because of the way that our heart is designed to work in the Christian walk and in the Christian faith. We all live our lives on the interplay of a heart and a mind that have to learn how to do a dance together. When we're born, we all live just kind of joyfully from our heart. I've got three kids, and this is one of the things that's so refreshing about kids. They're not like thinking and planning and strategizing and angling. They're just like, I'm me, and I'm having fun, you know? They just, they just like, just go with it. And it's this joy, and it's refreshing, and it's a little bit exhausting, and it's, it's good. It's beautiful. We're all born living from our heart. 
But what happens as we grow is we learn that our heart by itself maybe isn't everything that we need. And our heart has to begin to get kind of supplemented by our mind. So, for example, I, like I suppose everyone here, live on a street. And our street, our driveway kind of runs down into the street. And our kids can be, you know, in the front yard playing and they're throwing balls back and forth and all that. And the ball can roll right down the, the driveway into the street, right? And just listening to their heart, they will joyfully chase that thing right into the street. But I have to come alongside and say, whoa, whoa, whoa hold on, stop, 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 stop. Use your mind too. When you're coming up to the street, stop and look both directions. Otherwise, there could be grave consequences. What am I teaching them to do? Well, I'm teaching them to kind of bring the mind alongside the heart and for the two to begin to work together. And so we, we learn this pattern, and it's reinforced through, you know, our educational system and all kinds of things like that. And in time, we even learn that it, it kind of goes a little bit beyond that. Because as we're born, our heart is not fully what it was designed to be. It's a little bit twisted. It's a little bit distorted. And not everything that comes out of our heart is actually a good thing. Sometimes what comes out of our heart is a little self-centered, it's a little selfish, it's a, you know, whatever it is. It's not love, one version or not. And so what we learn is when it comes to morality, our mind is a helpful check and balance to the inclinations of our heart. Things come up and our mind goes, is that the right thing to do? Is that right? Is that good? Is that not? Our mind leads our heart. So that by the time we come into adulthood, we're usually in a situation where it's like our mind is in the driver's seat of the car and the heart is the passenger. It's still there. It's pointing at things. It's not uninvolved. But the mind is the one making the decisions. The mind is the one that's driving the show. Now, the reason this matters is when we're saved, different things happen to our mind and our heart. And we want to think carefully about that. You see, our heart is described as being removed and a new heart is put in its place. I'm going to take out your heart of stone. I'm going to put in a heart of flesh. A new heart, a new spirit I'm going to give you is the promise. And so being born again is about our heart being made new. But our mind is described as in process. It is being renewed. The heart is done. The mind is still on the journey. What that means is, if we want to live according to the new way that we've been birthed into effectively, and we leave the mind in the driver's seat, we're going to be frustrated. Because your mind doesn't have all the answers. It's still a little bit wrapped up in this world. It still sees things through the vantage point of brokenness and sin, all kinds of things like that. Whereas your heart has actually been made new and has what it needs. And so the journey of faith is a journey of swapping these two and getting your heart back into the driver's seat. One might say, faith like a child. <clears throat> when we live with our heart in the driver's seat, what happens is our heart guides us into places that our mind doesn't know how to fit yet. Our mind is like, I don't understand this. This doesn't seem like it makes any sense. I don't know why I should give my life savings to the church, but my heart is telling me to. <laughs> I just made that up in the moment. I don't know. Maybe, maybe that's for some of you. you know, but whatever it is, whatever thing our heart is guiding us to, our head says, it doesn't make any sense at all. That's so confused. But what's happening is our heart is seeing something our head can't yet. 
And her heart is saying, follow me, come alongside. You're going to learn as we go on this journey, and you're going to be renewed if you'll allow me to guide us in this direction. See, the heart, it's the starting point. It's the seed of redemption that's planted within us, that's designed to work its way out into the entirety of our life. And so the scriptures over and over and over again talk about things that live in the heart space. Faith. Faith is a heart thing. Belief is a mind thing. Faith is down here, lives in your heart. Revelation is the eyes of your heart being enlightened, being opened. Conviction, or uh, your conscience, is the voice of your heart. Indeed, Christ himself dwells in your heart through faith. A big part of the reason that we can be frustrated and be like, I know that's where I want to go. Why don't I have the gas to get there? is because we're trying to do it with our mind in the driver's seat. Your mind doesn't have the ability to get you there. It can see the right destination, but it's the wrong path to get you there. There's no capability. But if you're living with your heart, what you do is you come to a place of alignment where the Holy Spirit can put the gas in the tank for the car, and that empowers you to take the journey that's ahead. And so a lot of the frustration that we feel, why can't I make this change? You're not actually going to be able to do it with your mind. It'll last as long as your willpower is strong enough. And then when your willpower runs out, you're out of gas. You guys all know what I'm talking about, right? It's got to happen directed from your heart. And what that means is learning to listen to our conscience, learning to listen to the voice of our heart speaking to us is not an like an optional thing. It might be the core practice of living our Christianity. It is massive. It is huge. And it's what gives us the gas in the tank to go where we need to go. Now, how does all of that work? What does that look like? Well, the starting point is what Di mentioned last week. The starting point is we've got to come to a, f- a place of faith where we believe that we've been made new, where, where our heart grabs it, not just our head, not just like, yeah, I know I've been made new, yeah, that makes sense, that checks, no, 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 where your heart gets it, where there's a, mm, yeah, mm, I'm new, ah! that, that, that place, <laughs> okay, <laughs> if you know what I'm talking about, right, where there's a conviction, not just an understanding, because if you don't have that conviction, then your heart's going to be confused, and the voice is going to come up, and it's going to be all kinds of mixed up and jumbled up. Your heart has been made new. Here's what the book of Hebrews says, chapter 10. It says, Therefore, brothers, and I'll add, and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, not by ourselves, by what Jesus did, and by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, Jesus, because all of this amazing stuff Jesus did, let us draw near with a true heart. Let us draw near with a true heart, a heart being made true, not false, it's true, in full assurance of faith, and with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Because of what Jesus did, your heart has been made true, and the evil voice that would speak to you from your heart has been cleansed and cut away. You can trust 
the voice coming from your heart. Now, if you're like, yeah, buddy, I get it. Like, I understand what you mean. But again, it's the understanding. I need that faith piece. How do I get that faith piece? Well, you can't create it. You and I are not the author and perfecter of our own faith. Jesus is. But what I would suggest, a great starting point, would be engage with the scriptures that talk about you being made new, because that's like a great seedbed for him to be able to speak it to you and open your heart up to it. That's how it happened for me. And so if you need that, that would be where I'd, I'd push you. And listen to Dai's message again from last week would be a great idea too. Once we have come to the place where our heart sees that we've been made new, we have faith wrapped around it, then our journey is one of learning to listen to its leading. Learning to follow the voice of our heart, to follow our conscience. And what happens when we do that is it changes the dynamic of morality in a way that is massively significant. See, there's two ways that we can try to do the right thing. The way that happens if we're not following our heart, if we're trying to do it from our mind, is that right and wrong is perceived as something that lives in the world out there. And the way we approach morality is I'm trying to take my life and conform it to this standard outside of me. I'm trying to conform and measure up to this right or this wrong. And that is, that is it sounds like it's going to work. It actually doesn't work very well at all. There's all kinds of problems. First of all, you're never quite sure if you did. And every time you don't, there's this avalanche of voices that come at you from the outside. And so what you're doing is you're actually trying to take your life and measure it up to something on the outside of you. It's actually a law. You're following the law is what you're trying to do. It may not be the law of Moses. It's the law of what you understand right and wrong to be. <clears throat> That's the way we try and do it with our mind. But what happens when we begin to walk listening to the voice of our heart is the motivation and the method for doing the right thing becomes intrinsic instead of extrinsic. In other words, it's not about the right thing exists and I have to match the right thing. Me trying to make myself fit something on the outside of me. Rather, what happens is you're trying to match the person that already lives inside of you clear through to your behavior. So it's about, it's about okay, my heart has been made new. That new heart is directing me to do this thing. So when I take this action, when I participate in this activity, what I'm doing is being faithful to the person I am. I'm just, I'm just in, in a sense, being authentic, living my life with integrity to who I've been made. And what happens when you do that is there's a sense of an alignment in your being that is intensely satisfying. Because what you know is Jesus paid like an incredible price for me and now I'm living in such a way where I'm taking the biggest advantage of that. I'm living as fully in, in alignment with that as possible. And so what happens is you get aligned in the place where the Holy Spirit can add his gas to your tank. And you're like, wow, this feels great. Doing the right thing fills me with such like peace and comfort and joy. And I feel a sense of fullness in my humanity because I'm being what I'm supposed to be. Like this is incredible. And what winds up happening is this. Doing the right thing actually becomes the best possible experience. 
And doing the wrong thing becomes this thing where you do something wrong and your inner experience shifts. And now you realize, oh, I just got pulled into this confusing, dissonant place. I don't feel peace. I don't feel comfortable. I feel like I, I'm, I'm confused mentally and, and there's, there's kind of voices flying around telling me I'm this or that or I should do this or that. And I, This is an awkward, uncomfortable place. I don't like this place. In other words, doing the right thing becomes the best possible experience. Doing the wrong thing becomes incredibly uncomfortable. And you know what I found? When doing the right thing is the best possible experience, it's not very difficult to do. It's, it's kind of like, well, let's see, am I going to choose to be happy or miserable? <laughs> not a difficult choice, right? But the thing is, is you don't get any of that if you're not trying to live from your heart. You're just trying to match some standard out there and what's really happening is you're living in that place all the time. When you begin to come into that conformity, there's such a satisfying peace and fulfillment to it and you feel so whole. It's beautiful. Doing the right thing becomes the best experience. Why? Because we're listening to that voice in our heart. Now what happens if we choose not to? What happens if we just blow off that voice? Well, I want to say this with as much uh, pastoral uh, <laughs> um, uh, posture as I can. That is a terrible idea. It's a terrible, terrible, lousy idea. You know, we have, we have voices that communicate to us, built into us, and we ignore those voices at our own peril. If you break your leg... You're going to have a voice that starts talking to you, pain. And if you ignore that pain and walk around like nothing is happening, you are going to have massive problems. And you can tell yourself, well, I'm just not going to listen to the message. You can tell yourself, well, the pain doesn't affect me that much. It doesn't matter what you're doing with the voice. The damage is real either way. If we choose to come to the place where we're saying, you know what, that voice is telling me this is not good, this is not right, this is not who I am, and I choose to set it aside and ignore it and pretend it's not there, I am actually putting myself in a place of internal misalignment that's going to damage my psyche and my relationships and my life. In 1 Corinthians 8, Paul writes something that's so fascinating. He's writing about something that seems like really esoteric to a lot of us. He's talking about like, it, what food is it okay to eat? And specifically the discussion is like, is it all right to eat meat? Because a lot of the meat in this context was sacrificed to idols. And so that actually like kind of presents a problem. Like, should I eat meat that's been sacrificed to an idol? Is that okay? And what Paul lands on is he says, look, here's the deal, okay? Food is not gonna make you good or bad with God. So if your conscience is clean, then just eat it. Don't worry about it. But he says, but if your conscience is not clean in that place, then it's not okay for you to eat it, even though it's not a sin. And in fact, one better than that, if you're with someone who their conscience won't let, you, won't let them eat meat, then you shouldn't eat it too because of the effect it might have on them. Here's, how, here's where he lands. He comes down. He says this, take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. 
Um, that was verse 9. Verse 10 here, for you projection guys, you're probably with me, but in case you're not. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged, if his conscience is weak, to eat food offered to idols? And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed. The brother for whom Christ died. A person who didn't even sin when they ate the meat. What did they do? They tuned out the voice. And the result is destruction. Guys, we cannot ignore that inner voice and not reap the result of what we sow. You cannot do it. Here's what your inner voice is telling you in Hebrews 10. This passage talks about what our heart comes to expect if we begin to dismiss what it's telling us. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment. That's what your heart's going to be telling you. I deserve judgment because I'm blowing off what Jesus did. Fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. You can't ignore the law and have no consequence. But how much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God, who's profaned the blood of the covenant and by which he was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace? You blow off your conscience and your heart is going to start telling you this is where you're at. You actually deserve judgment. You actually deserve punishment. Now God in his incredible mercy will extend mercy upon mercy to you. God isn't going to be doing that judgment. But that doesn't matter when your heart is saying, I deserve it. That, that in and of itself is going, to, is going to draw destruction into your life. Now I want to take a minute here and I want to speak to those of us who have just decided I'm not going to fight sin, I'm just going to accept it. My tactic isn't resistance, it's justification. Maybe it's finances. You're not reporting your taxes. Giving to Caesar what Caesar is owed in the words of Jesus. Maybe you're not giving to God what God is owed. You're following his plan to tithe. Maybe it's in your sexuality. I marry people. I know the stats on how many Christian couples wait until they're married. Or maybe you already are married and you're not keeping things within the boundaries of marriage. Maybe it's pornography. Maybe it's issues of speech, gossip, gossip excuse me, slander, crude joking, cursing. Maybe it's issues of the heart, anger, envy, greed. Maybe it's something else. I don't know what it is for you, and I'm not pointing a finger, but what I'm saying is this. Guys, if we have come to the place where we have made our peace with living with that, we are no longer resisting and listening to our conscience, but we've just decided, I don't care. Can I tell you that is an extremely dangerous place to be? I'm not saying this because I know how it should work because I've read the Bible. That ought to be enough. But I'm saying this because I'm the guy who gets called when people's life completely falls apart and there's the prayer session where they need the expert. 
I'm the guy who has seen up close the effects of sin in people's lives as much as anybody has in this congregation. And I've been doing that for almost a decade. I'm not speaking out of something I don't know here. And what sin does is sin numbs you. So what winds up happening is you think everything's okay. You think nothing bad is happening. But what's actually happening is from the inside out, the misalignment of your heart with God that's cutting off those resources is gradually hollowing you out as a person. On the outside, everything looks exactly the same. But on the inside, you're numb and you're being hollowed out until one day it hits the end where there's nothing left and the shell cracks and your whole life falls apart. And you didn't see it coming. You honestly thought everything was under control. That's how it works. I've seen it over and over and over and over again. If that's where you're at, Without any shame, without any condemnation, I'm not pointing a finger and I am not judging you. I'm a human being and I'm in process too. But we cannot afford to take the posture of, I just don't care. I'm just going to say it's okay. It's not okay. Don't do that to yourself. God will not be mocked. Whatever we sow, we will reap. You can't sow this stuff and not reap into your life the damage. What do you do? What do all of us do? Guys, it's, it's, it's not super complicated. It comes down to this. When, when you feel that twinge, you just don't ignore it. I, I understand it's an uncomfortable feeling, and it's easy to say, I don't want to engage with that because it's painful. But that's not going to help you. What you're doing is your heart is saying, hey, hold on, I'm ready to take the wheel. And your mind goes, that's going to be too hard, I don't want to do it. Get out of here. Your mind stays in the driver's seat. When you feel that twinge, lean in and engage with it. Listen. Engage with the pain. Engage with what, what you're doing and allow that voice to tell you, you know what, this isn't who you are. You know what, there could be another way. Because when you listen to that voice and you come into agreement with it and you say, you know what? I don't want to live that way. I don't want to be that person. You're allowing the heart to slide into that driver's seat. And it begins to take the wheel and guide you along a new path to a new place in life. It's not rocket science. You just have to choose to listen when it starts to speak. Guys, the life of living led by the heart is so gloriously fulfilling. I can't even tell you how good it is. It is so fantastic. And what's amazing is it's not only the best possible way that we could live for ourselves. It's not only the most radically fulfilling and enjoyable life for us, which it is. But it's also the best life for the world around us. Because we as human beings, we've been made with the design, which is to image God. To be a signpost of who he is. And as we live, listening to the voice of our heart, you know what happens? We begin to reveal God to a world that desperately needs to see him. Let's all learn to listen to the voice of our conscience and live cleanly before God. Jesus, you're so good. We love you, God. 
And I thank you, Lord, that there's never like an ounce of condemnation or judgment from you coming towards us, but that as we see our stuff, you're just like so happy to help begin to move that out of our life. God, we just say like yes to that in a whole new way. We say yes to your leading of, of, from our heart, God. Would you, would you even like strengthen the voice in our heart? Would it be louder to each one of us that we could hear and we could come into alignment and agreement with it? God, we just give you the whole of our lives. May there be no part in our lives where we're justifying or compromising or agreeing with sin. But rather, God, let us be led by the voice in our heart and live in authenticity and integrity to who you've made us. New on the inside and demonstrating that new on the outside. In your name and for your sake. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to the message today. To experience more powerful messages, go to vineyardlive.us or join our Vineyard Live Plus community to view conferences, trainings, and special teachings.